Well, a couple of weeks ago, I watched a movie called Selma. Anybody seen Selma? A 2014 movie about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's a historical drama based on the 1965 Selma to Montgomery uh, Voting Rights March. So this is a march from these two cities to, uh, uh, to fight against uh, uh, African-American, African-American, uh, the African-American right to vote. So that's what it was. Um, it was a great movie. It was a really good movie. I think it won several Golden Globe Awards. And I would recommend that you watch it. But uh, one of the things that strikes me about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was his vision for the future. And so in the movie, there was that, that scene where he preaches the I Have a Dream speech. I say preaches because he really was preaching there. And he, it, just in that speech, he painted such a clear vision of the future. And it was a vision based on Scripture. So remember he said, I see the lion laying down with the lamb. I see justice rolling down like a waterfall. I see a world of peace. I see a world of equity. He was drawing on the biblical vision of the future. And such a clear visionary. He was a visionary. He really saw the future. But what was so cool about Martin Luther King Jr. is that his vision of the future changed the way he lived in the present. He was such a visionary that it made him determined, even dead set, on changing life in the present. And he really did change things. He changed our country permanently because of that vision he had of the future world. Such a compelling, compelling movie that shows us the importance of vision, the the importance of seeing a future world. And it reminds me of that C.S. Lewis quote. There's this famous quote by C.S. Lewis. Always reminds me of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this is what he said. He said, uh, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just the ones that thought most of the next. This is certainly true of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. I mean, he really did become a world changer because of his vision of the future age, of the kingdom of God. Now, it's not just, uh, you know, these macro changes that, that we need vision for. It's not that, you know, vision is helpful to, to be a world changer, but every single transformation, all transformation begins with a preferred vision of the future, with a vision of a preferred future. And so uh, just think about it. Ask, ask any athlete. You know, if you want to become a really good athlete, what do you need to do? You need to envision yourself shooting that goal. You need to envision yourself making that basket. You need to envision yourself catching that wave. And that vision of the future, it, it helps you have motivation to work in the present, right? Or think about, you know, anybody who's achieved a goal, right? You, how do you achieve a goal? You, you picture yourself in, on, at, in the corner office, you know, at big window overlooking the city, calling all the shots, and that vision of the future drives you in the present to achieve. All transformation begins with a vision of the future. You think about somebody who's, uh, you know, who works out, you know, who wants uh, to have a, you know, a healthy body. How did they get that? Well, they got a vision of themselves, themselves with, an, with a six-pack, you know, working out at the gym, looking good, healthy, maybe playing with the grandchildren, and that vision of the future changed the way they lived in the present. And so it's not just macro changes that we need vision for. Every single transformation uh, requires that we get a vision of a preferred future. 
And so here's what I want you to see today. What, this, this is what Paul is going to uh, talk about in our passage. He's going to say that Christian growth, that Christian maturity, maturity that, the, that the development of virtue, that the uh, development of character always begins with a vision. Paul's going to say that every Christian must be a visionary. We're to be so captivated by the future that it changes the way we live in the present. How do you change? How do you grow? Paul says it all begins with your heart and your mind, getting your heart and mind in the right place. And so we're going to get into this passage. Uh, today, I don't have points. Again, this is going to be a pointless sermon. And... Uh, what I want to do is I want to unpack this passage. I want to ask the question, what is Paul asking us to do? In chapter 3 of Colossians, verses 1 through 4, what is he asking us to do? What does he want us to do here? And we're going to work our way through the passage, unpack it, and then I will give you the points at the very end. So Paul begins and he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you, have been, for you have died with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We'll stop there. So notice he begins, if you have been raised with Christ. And this phrase throws us back to the, three, the previous chapter. It throws us back to what Paul has been just talking about. And you remember uh, last chapter, Paul has been talking about a heresy in the church. Uh, there were some teachers that had come in and they said, look, this is how you grow. This is how you change. This is how you develop virtue. You need to be circumcised, you need to keep rules, you need to uh, observe holidays, and you need to mistreat your body. And Paul says, no, that's not how it happens. In fact, in verse 23, this is a very end of chapter two, he says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom, right? If you're doing all these things, it may appear wise in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But he says, they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, he says, what they're pushing on you, the legalism and rules and observance and circumcision, he said, he says, it has no value in changing you. It has no value in stopping the indulgence of the, the flesh. But it raises a question. What does have value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh? And don't you want to know? Right? What does have value in helping you change? What does have value in, in enabling you to, to develop virtue? What is helpful? Well, obviously, Paul's going to say, well, union with Christ, being a Christian, having the life of God in you is what you need. But someone might say, well, that's great, but how do I work that life of God in me out into my everyday life? How do I change? Right, God is in there if I'm a Christian, but what, what will get that life of God that's inside of me into my marriage, right, so I can begin to tr treat my wife differently or my husband differently? Uh, what will get that life of God in me into my parenting so I don't yell at my kids all the time? Right? How do I get that life of God into my job so I can be diligent at work and, and treat others fairly? Uh, how do I get the life of God in me actually into my everyday life? How do I change? What does have value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh? Here's the question. And so Paul in chapter three is answering that question. He's saying, here's what's gonna have value. You've been, you've, he says, you need to start with being raised with Christ you start with being a Christian of having the life of God in you, but he says, here's, now that that's happened, here's what I want you to do. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above 
and not on things that are on the earth. He says, now that you are a Christian, you've got the life of God in you, how do you get it out? How do you get, get this stuff into your life? He says, it all begins with a mindset. It all begins with a vision. It all begins with getting your heart and mind in the right place. Christian transformation begins with a crystal clear picture of the future. And so let's break it down. Paul says, uh, first what you need to do is, is you need to set your mind on things above. He says, first, think about your mind. The, the mind is an incredible gift of God. And he says, if you're gonna change your life, you need to get your mind in the right place. You need to begin thinking about the right things. And all the way through the Bible, uh, we see the importance of the mind. And so uh, the, the word repentance even is the Greek word metanoia. Can we all say that? Metanoia, it literally means to change your mind. Repentance begins with changing your mindset, thinking about, thinking differently. And this is, this is why Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse one says, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind. The mind is an incredible gift of God. And if we're gonna change as Christians, we need to start setting our minds on things above. I read this this past week about your mind. Your mind is an incredible gift of God. Uh, somebody this week said, uh, think about your mind. It weighs three pounds. Uh, it has the consistency of jello. Every minute, three soda cans of blood throw, flow through it. 100 billion neurons or brain cells are there in your mind. And despite all of our advances in technology, your, the human mind, the human brain, is the fastest computer in the world. One billion billion calculations per second is what it makes. With all that speed and computating uh, power, it basically runs off of sugar, the article said. So here's the, the most powerful computer in the world, all running off of glucose, sugar. And Paul says, how are you using this incredible gift of God? How are you using your mind? What are you thinking about? What consumes your mind? The article went on, with our minds, we can do almost anything. Uh, we could build airplanes, spaceships, skyscrapers, cathedrals. We can climb Mount Everest, go to the bottom of the sea in submarines. We could put a remote control car on Mars. We can find cures for terrible diseases. We can make breathtaking works of music, art, literature. It's incredible. In fact, there was a study done at USC. Uh, according to the lab of neuroimaging at USC, the average person thinks 70,000 thoughts per day. Uh, that's 4,375 thoughts per hour, 72 thoughts per minute. And so the question is, what are we thinking about? <laughs> what are we thinking about? How are we using our brains? What is consuming our thoughts? What is captivating us? Paul says transformation begins with setting your mind on things above. Having your, your mind captivated by the future. So Paul says you, need, you start with your mind, but he says also what you need to do is set your heart on things above. Don't just set your minds on things above, but, think, but set your heart on, on the things above. Now what is your heart? Well, to state the obvious, it's more than just a vital organ that pumps your blood. What is your heart? Your, and it's more than just emotions. When you think about heart, don't just think about, you know, your emotions and, and somebody breaking your heart and that sort of thing. Your heart is the fulcrum of your desires and longings. In your heart, you determine what you want. Your heart is what, what causes you to pursue things. 
Your heart is your longings and your desires. And so Paul says, set your longings and your desires on things above. Now, notice he says, this is something you need to do intentionally. He says, set your minds and set your hearts on things above. Uh, It's the idea that we're, we're all, you know, you cannot not think and you cannot not love or pursue something. You already are pursuing something. You already do think about things all the time. You're already captivated. And so Paul says, think about what captivates you. Think about what, what consumes your thought life, what your mind goes to when you're not occupied. Think about what am I seeking, what am I chasing after in life? And he says, make sure, this is how transformation starts, make sure that you're setting your heart and mind on things above. Make sure that you've got a higher pursuit. That's where it starts. And notice Paul says, I want you to do this and don't set your mind and hearts on things below, on things that are on the earth. And here's the idea. He's saying, don't set your sights too low. Don't set your pursuits too low. There are all sorts of things, Paul says, that we're pursuing that may be good things and wonderful things, but he says, if you're really gonna change, you need to have a higher pursuit. Right, some of us are pursuing money. This is what consumes our thoughts. This is what we're really chasing after. If it really, you know, boiled down to it, that's what we're pursuing in life. We want money, more money. Show me the money. <laughs> I want more, more, more. And that's what you're going after. Some of you are pursuing career, you know, and achievement uh, and, career, you know, success in the vocational realm, right? Like at the beginning, you are, you've envisioned yourself in the corner office, looking over the city, telling everybody what to do, calling all the shots, and this is what drives you. Some of you are, are pursuing ro- romance, romantic love. And maybe you watched one too many romantic comedies as a young person, and you, this has just captured you and captivated you, and it consumes your thoughts. You want to fall in love. You want the one that you're with to be the one that you're in love with, and this is what consumes you. Some of us are, are pursuing, uh, you know, comfort and, and, you know, ease of life. You know, you think about, you know, this is what I envision. This is my preferred future. Me on the beach in Mexico drinking a pina colada, right? And that's not a bad vision, is it? Give me some of that pina colada right now, right? This is what some of you are thinking. And this is what drives you. Ah, that's the life. That's what I want. And Paul says, listen, there are a lot of things that have captivated you in life. There are things that you're pursuing after. Make sure that you're not setting your sights too low. These things may not be bad, these things on the earth, but he says, if you're going to really grow and change and develop virtue, you need to have a higher vision of the future. You need to set your mind and your heart on things that are above. What captivates you needs to be something that is beyond this life. But someone says, well, what are, Paul says, set your mind and your heart. I need to be pursuing the things that are above, but what are these things? You know, I'm supposed to be envisioning a preferred future uh, above out there in the heavens. What does this look like? Does it mean I just think about clouds all day long and I think about harps and the furniture of heaven, whatever that looks like? And I go after, I mean, what does it mean to set my mind on things above? What's out there that I need to be pursuing? Well, notice Paul goes on here. He says, set your mind and your heart on things above. And then he says in verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where Christ, and when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. So what is out there that you need to set your mind on? Paul says you need to set your mind on your future self, on your destiny. 
And he says, it all begins with this little phrase. He says, uh, he says, first you need to realize that you have died. So if you're a Christian, you've died. Uh, when, when, when Christ calls you to follow him, he calls, he calls you to come and die. Now somebody says, I am a Christian and I am very, I'm still very much alive. <laughs> I am alive. What, is it, what does it mean that if I'm a Christian, I've died? Well, there's a part of you that died if you're a Christian. The, there's an old... Uh, sinful nature, the, the patterns of selfishness and greed. The old life, the old patterns of life, if you're a Christian, you have been crucified to that. Just as Jesus hung on a cross and died, your old self has died. Becoming a Christian is more than just cleaning up the old self. It's more than just moral reformation of the you that's already there. It's getting a brand new you. It is death and resurrection. And like we said last week, this is the imagery of baptism. If you come to be baptized, we will take you and we will dump you and hold you, dunk you in the water and hold you down for a very long time and pull you back up again to remind you that becoming a Christian is death and resurrection. You died with Christ, your old life was buried, and you were raised in newness of life. Paul says you need to recognize that if you're a Christian, you have died. And you are now raised in newness of life. You are born again by the Spirit of God. The resurrection power of Jesus is living in you and through you. But he goes on and he says, uh, you've, you've died. And, and then, but then he says, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? He's saying, now that you're a Christian, you, ha you have new life. Right? Christ is in you. The resurrection power, you know, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is there living in you. And yet, in a sense, it's hidden. Right? It's not super, super clear. You still look a lot like the old you if you're a Christian. And there's little glimpses of the resurrection life that pop out every now and then. But in, in, in a very real sense, your new life is hidden. It's in there, but you just can't see it. You know, think about Michelangelo, and, and he looks at that big stone, and when he looks at the stone, he sees a work of art. And you look at the stone, you see a stone. The work of art is hidden in there, and Michelangelo has to chip away and get it out. And your, this is your present life. There's a work of art in you. You are God's poema. You are God's work of art. And God is working on you and changing you, and the Spirit of God lives in you, and yet it's hidden in a sense. It's not fully out there. It's, it's, you still see lots of the old you still around. Paul says you, your life now is hidden with Christ in God. It's a hidden life. But then notice what he says in verse four. He says, but when Christ who is your life appears, I love that phrase, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is your future. If you've been raised with Christ, this is where your life is headed. You have died and now your life is hidden with Christ and God. You know, you're, you're growing and you're changing, but it's hidden. But one day you will be revealed. The real you, the future you, is going to be unveiled. Uh, theologians call this glorification. It's that when Christ returns, it's not only Christ who will appear, but the real you. You who have been raised with Christ, the real you will be unveiled. And you will see yourself in all of your glory. One of my favorite TV shows is Fixer Upper. Anybody want to admit that also? Fixer Upper. 
uh, Joanna Gaines, Chip Gaines, just I love what they do. And, uh, you know, they, they pick a house, and the house that they pick is usually, the, the way they say it, it's the worst house in the best neighborhood, right? The thing just looks like a piece of junk. And, but they go in there, and they're just so good at what they do. They, they, what they see there is something, they see a work of art. All you see is, you know, dilapidated house. But they get to work, and it's changing bit by bit until the very end. They bring the couple back, and, and in front of the house, there's that big picture of the old house, and then there's the big reveal where they pull it away and you see the new house in all of its glory. This is, in a sense, is what's gonna happen in the end. Your life is hidden with Christ and God, but when Jesus Christ comes, the true you will be revealed. You will, there's gonna be the big reveal and you're gonna see yourself in all of the glory that God intended for you. There's a you that you were intended to be. You were created to reflect God. There is only one way that God is imaged in the world, and it's humanness. But you're, you've been broken. You're a marred masterpiece. But one day, God will be finished with you, and you will appear, the true self, the true you will appear in all of your glory. This is your destiny. This is where you're headed. Image of God formed into the very image of Jesus Christ, like him. This is where you're headed. The other day, my little son, Luke, he looked at me and he said, Daddy, are we going to be short? (laughs) Oh, what a hard question. What a sad, hard question. And I looked at my son, Luke, and I said, Luke, this is your destiny. Your daddy is 5'6", with his shoes on. And I'm sorry, son. This is where your life is going. This is a picture of your future self. This is your destiny. What is your destiny if you're a Christian? You have been raised with Christ, and although your life is hidden right now, God is working on you, and one day God will be finished you will be absolutely perfect image of God, reflecting to the world the very person and character of God himself, just like Jesus. So there's a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says this. He says, the command be ye perfect is not idealistic gas. Now he's, he's a Brit, and when he says idealistic gas, he means it's not empty words. It's not empty words. The the command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic guess, nor is it a command to do the impossible. And then he says, he, speaking of God, is going to make us into the creatures that can obey that command. He said in the Bible that we are gods, and when he says God, this is small g, dazzling creatures. Every person is infinite image of God. We are gods, and he is going to make good on on his words. If we let him, for we can prevent him, if we choose... He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. That is your future. So where does Christian growth go? Begin. How do you begin to develop virtue? How do you change? It begins with getting a vision of your future. 
It begins with setting your heart and setting your mind and being captivated by the you that's beyond the walls of this world and pulling that into your present. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So this is what Paul tells us to do. It's the beginning of his moral section of the letter. Paul's gonna go on and tell us about how to live in marriage and how to live in parenting and how to deal with people at work and how to do all sorts of things, but he says it all begins with getting a vision of your future self. So what do we do now? How do we apply this tomorrow morning, uh, which is Monday? What do we do now? Well, here, here are the three points, and I wanna tell you to do three things in light of this. Uh, set your minds on things above, not on things of this worth. How do we apply this to our life? Uh, the first thing I think this, this urges us to do is we need to feed our vision. We need to feed our vision. You need to be captivated by a life, by the life that you were meant to live. You need something higher to live for. You need a you to live into that's bigger than a corner office or being great at sports. You need to develop a vision for your life that is bigger than this world. How do I do that? Well, I have, I have, there's a pastor I follow, and he said uh, this summer he went on a trip, and he said, my, my goal on the trip was to get a vision for my life. He traveled around Europe, and he visited churches of famous pastors and places where uh, men and women live that changed the world, and he, he wanted to examine these lives and these places to get a vision for his own life. Get a vision for your life. There's a you that you've been created to be. You need to be captivated by something higher than things on this earth. I remember uh, being a younger pastor and I met with this man. And this man, was, he was married with kids, several cute kids, and he was still living like a teenager. Like he was still sleeping around, he was still partying every night, coming home late. And he came to me and he said, Brent, I just, I wanna change, I just can't. He said, I'm just captivated by this life, by this life I'm living, partying, I just need to do it, it's just so fun. And I looked at, what is his problem? His problem is he needs a bigger, he needs a bigger vision for his life. He needs a, to have a picture that is, that is greater. So C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot envision or imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You're too easily pleased. You need to feed your vision. Uh, here, here's another thing I want you to do. I want you to choose the future. Paul in the passage, he goes on, and the way he puts this, is he, says, he says, now I want you to think about things above, and then he says, I want you to put on the new self and take off the old self. Now, in, he's not just saying stop doing bad things and start doing good things. He's saying, I want you to choose the future. 
There's a future you. There's a you that you've been created to be that's coming. Live into that. Every single day you choose either the past or the future. There's an old you and then there's the future you. And every day you make decision after decision for or against the future. And I want to ask you to choose the future. You've got a destiny. You are created to live into the image of God. Choose that future. Put on the new self because this is who you are. There's a story of St. Augustine. And St. Augustine, his old life, uh, he was very promiscuous. He slept around with many, many women. He became a Christian. He became a scholar. Uh, we read his books nowadays. And one day he was, he was, he was walking around the city and a woman from the past uh, came up and said, Augustine, Augustine. And he looked at her and he ran the other way. And she thought, well, maybe he didn't see me. Uh, and so she ran after him. And so she chased him down the street, down into a, an alley that was a dead end. And she said, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And he looked back at her and he said, but it is not I. I'm a different person now. And I'm choosing the future. So feed your vision. Where are you going? Read the scriptures. Find out who God has created you to be. And then every day, choose the future. Live into that and say no to the past old self. And then finally, this is the third thing, and then I'll be done. Grab on to grace. Grab on to grace. The thing about the preferred future, the future you, is that it is coming, and it is coming for sure. The big reveal that we talked about, this, this glorification, this you that's going to be, prefer, be perfect, it will happen. It is not a maybe or a might be. You will be glorified. It's a promise of God's grace if you're a Christian. There's one place where, where, where Paul says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will finish you. And I know so often that the, the drawback is so strong, but the draw forward is stronger. The pull forward is stronger. You will be finished. There's a story of a, a little boy who was in Sunday school. And this little boy was like my boy sometimes. He was a little bit rowdy. And the Sunday school teacher looked at the little boy and she said, little boy, do you know who made you? And the little boy looked back at her and he said, yeah, God did. And the Sunday school teacher said, well, he didn't do a very good job. <laughs> and the little boy looked back at the Sunday school teacher and he said, that's because he's not finished yet. And God is not finished with you yet. But there's a promise. There's a promise of future glory. And it is your destiny. You will be like Jesus. Grab onto that grace. Grab onto that, that pull forward. I love what Soren Kierkegaard said. He said, Now, with God's help, I will become myself. Now, with God's help, I will become myself. And I hope that all of us can say that this morning. Oh, with God's help, this future is coming. With God's grace, I will draw on the energy that he gives me. With God's help, I will become my true self, my future self. I will live into my destiny.
This is where it all begins. Paul says, look, I'm gonna tell you about, lo- about marriage and parenting and all sorts of things, but you need to get a vision. You need to get a vision and you need to pull that forward and you need to live into it. Live into the person God has called you and raised you and created you to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage. Uh, this passage of... Uh, very, uh, it's very practical, telling us how we can uh, begin on the path of transformation. It all begins with being raised, with, with dying with you, uh, getting brand new life that is living inside of us, God. But Lord, we know that, that there's a future. God, that you've called us into a beautiful life, an incredible life of love and peace and joy and selflessness. Lord, we pray that we would get a vision for that life. And Father, every day this week, we pray that as we make decisions, that you would help us to choose the future. God, that we would set our minds, that we'd be captivated by our future glory and that we would live into that glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.